0: All right, well, welcome to our 18th episode of Spurbs Herbs. Today, we're going to be talking about an incredibly important herb. It is a foundational herb called Gui, gui Jiu Cinnamomi ramulus, also commonly known as cinnamon twig. So this isn't the bark that we get as cinnamon uh, as a spice. This is actually a twig of the same plant. So it has different uh, it has, has different properties. We're going to get into each of those properties. So that's what we're going to be talking about today on our 18th episode of Spurbs Herbs. <clears throat> if you are an acupuncturist, this podcast as well as others are approved for California Acupuncture Board Continuing Education Units and the National Certification Commission of Acupuncture and Oriental Medicines, NCCAOM, Professional Development Activities at a Reasonable Cost. Please check us out at integrativemedicinecouncil.org. That's www.integrativemedicinecouncil.org. I've also written a couple books. The first is Integrative Pharmacology, Combining Modern Pharmacology with Integrative Medicine. And the second is Playing the Game, a Step-by-Step Guide to Accepting Insurance as an Acupuncturist. And both of these are available at the shop on www.sperbsherbs.com. It's also on that Integrative Medicine Council site as well. So either one will get you there. So spurbsherbs.com or integrativemedicinecouncil.org. Thank you. So, you know, every, every time I do one of these, we have something a little bit different. And so today, I wanted to talk about oaths really quick, and specifically medical oaths. Uh, We have a lot. We have a really jam-packed episode today. So this is going to be a little bit shorter than our our normal, uh, something a little different, But uh, and then we're going to get into the meat of the herbs and everything. So I wanted to talk today about and, and give a cursory look at the oaths physician's take in the West, the Hippocratic Oath is what medical doctors recite upon graduation. In actuality, it is often a version of the original oath. It's 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 changed a little bit that does not include the Greek gods, though in my medical school, we did cite the original oath. And so we did we did pledge to the original Greek gods. In China, the equivalent, though not necessarily recited at graduation, is Sun Tzu Miao's on the absolute sincerity of great physicians. So let's briefly talk about these two great men and their oaths. Hippocrates, born 460 BCE, so about 2,500 years old, uh, actually a little bit more closer, 2,600, is considered the father of medicine. And really that's the father of Western medicine. And I don't necessarily agree with that. We're gonna get to that in just a minute. The Hippocratic corpus or body of work is attributed to him, despite probably being the work of many authors over time. And what was different about this corpus is that it established that disease was not supernatural in origin. In other words, you weren't sick because you pissed off a God that you were sick because there were natural reasons for that. They believed that disease was primarily caused by disharmony in the patient And they focused on the patient, not the disease, which I think is very, very similar to how Chinese medicine looks at these sort of things. And so I think that that the Hippocrates and the Hippocratic Corpus is way in line with Chinese medicine. We're going to see even some more similarities in just a minute. The difference was over the ocean, over the the sea, there were the Snidians at the same time as the Hippocrats, and they focused on the disease, not the person. In other words, they said, you got sick, not because you weren't in harmony or you weren't in good health. So that allowed a disease to occur. What they said was a disease invades you sort of like we do with modern medicine and actually does cause the the pathologies that we see. I actually think the Snidians were way more the founders of, of Western medicine rather than the Hippocrats. They're different. So remember, the Hippocrats are saying you're getting disease because of a disharmony in in you. And the Sinidians are saying you're getting a disease because the disease invaded you, attacked you. There is a a cause, and that's the disease. They both had in common that they were not supernatural in origin. Diseases were not supernatural in origin, but they focused on different aspects of that. So, in the Hippocratic Corpus, treatments include massage, meditation, herbs, bone setting, and venting abscesses. This sounds a lot like Chinese medicine. The only thing it doesn't have is acupuncture. Everything else is very much in line with acupuncture, and I I think it's very similar to acupuncture in that regard. They focus on the four humors, um, which include black and yellow bile blood and phlegm so there's black bile yellow bile blood and phlegm and these needed to be in balance in order to create health and prevent disease so that was their big thing was how do you balance the humors and one of the famous quotes attributed to hippocrates one of my favorite ones is life is short the art is long referring to medicine the art is long opportunity fleeting experiment fallible or the other interpretation of this is experience delusive judgment difficult so i like this because i think this is medicine life is short it's going to be hard to master any aspect of medicine in our short lives the art is long though it carries on beyond you opportunities fleeing take every opportunity and learn from it Experiment is fallible, experience is delusive. So you have to always be questioning experiments and your experience, make sure you're getting at the true nature of things and then judgment difficult. So even when you do all that, it's still difficult to figure out exactly what's going on. So that is one of my favorite quotes. Um, if I, uh, I, I will probably at some point put it up in my office. So, so here's the Hippocratic Oath. I thought I'd actually, it's it's short enough that I thought we could actually get into it, you know, actually say it. Uh, the, the next portion is too long. We're not going to get into on the absolute sincerity of a great physician, but we'll talk about aspects of it. So here's the Hippocratic Oath. And like I said, I did recite this at my medical school graduation. So I swear by Apollo, the healer, Escapolis, Hygieia, and Panacea, and I take to witness all the gods, all the goddesses to keep according to my ability and my judgment, the following oath and agreement. To consider dear, no, just as and think about how odd that is, because we just said disease is not supernatural in origin, but here they are pledging an oath to those gods. So it's, it's interesting. Okay, so here's the oath and agreement. To consider dear to me as my parents, him who taught me this art, to live in common with him, and if necessary, to share my goods with him, to look upon his children as my own brothers, to teach them this art. I will prescribe regimens for the good of my patients, according to my ability and my judgment, and never do harm to anyone. I will not give a lethal drug to anyone if I am asked, nor will I advise such a plan. And similarly, I will not give a woman a pessary to cause an abortion. A pessary is a vaginal insert to cause an abortion, but I will preserve the purity of my life and my arts. I will not cut for stone, even for patients to whom the disease is manifest. I love this portion. What they're actually talking about here is there was a procedure in ancient Greece that if you had a kidney stone and you were passing it, which is, I have never seen anyone in more pain than when they're passing a kidney stone. And what they would actually do is tie them to a rock and, and surgically try to find the stone and more often than not kill the patient. So what the Hippocratic Oath is saying here is they will not cut for stone because it is too brutal, it is too painful, and it is not helpful. So I will not cut for stone, even for patients to whom the disease is manifest. I will leave this operation to be performed by practitioners, specialists in this art. In every house where I come, I will enter only for the good of my patients, keeping myself Far from all intentional ill-doing and all seduction, and especially from the pleasures of love with women or with men, be they free or slaves. So that's that's a really ethical aspect there. All that may come to my knowledge in the exercise of my profession or in daily commerce with men, which ought not to be spread abroad, I will keep secret and will never reveal. If I keep this oath faithfully, may I enjoy my life and practice my art, respected by all men and in all times. But if I swerve from it or violate it, may the reverse be my lot. So, what this does is it solidifies the ethical foundations of medicine. And this is why I think um, if you want to say that Hippocrates is the father of medical ethics, I'm all for it, at least in the West. This was foundational for medical ethics. And it's the reason why I think he was and is considered the father of medicine, not because of his thoughts about disease, but because what this oath did is is basically say as a doctor at this point in Greece, what would happen is doctors would go to different towns and they'd hang out their shingle and then people would come to them. And then as soon as someone died or there was a mistake made, they would take their shingle and go to the next town. And so they were itinerant. They moved from town to town. What this Hippocratic Oath did was think about the marketing of this. If they knew you were a hippocratic doctor they knew you were ethically bound to do well and not to do harm and so when you establish yourself in a new town you flourished much more than the non hippocratic doctors and so that way there is an economic a marketing as well as an ethical aspect to how this spread and i think that's the reason he really spread this um from the economic side of things, from the marketing side of things. And I think that's really important to kind of keep in mind with this Hippocratic Oath. And as I said, this is still done today in medical schools, or at least a version of it in all medical schools. And so this is still super foundational to the practice of medicine, at least in the West. So let's go to the East. (coughs) So Sun Simiao. Miao... Uh, lived from 582 to 682 CE, primarily during the Tang Dynasty, 618 to 907. So think about this, this is almost a thousand years after Hippocrates, and and there is some some trade happening, uh, maybe not at this point, but earlier. um, There's trade happening between China and Greece, so there are exchanges of ideas happening between the, the two areas. He was appointed to several positions at court, but turned them all down. And he's also, by the way, famous for for doing surgeries and things like that. So, I mean, really accomplished doctor, and he did not want to work at court. The Chinese, quote unquote, Chinese Hippocratic Oath is Sun Tzu Miao's on the absolute sincerity of great physicians. And it was designed to protect patients and give advice about professionalism. Very similar sort of advice. So lots of Confucian influences in this, in this on the absolute sincerity of, of a great physician. Uh, basically these Confucian influences, some of them include like a moral life means less illness. So the more moral you are, the healthier you are. And in, in some ways that makes a, a lot of sense, but in a direct way, it doesn't. Uh, thorough education and rigorous conscientiousness, the very Confucian Confucian Confucius are all about education. And so there's a heavy emphasis on education and educating yourself. It includes the ideas of compassion, or shu, and humanity, or ren, and other virtues. So these are very Confucian virtues, but it wasn't just Confucian. Sense of mal. It's sort of an amalgam and, the, and includes the basic values and concepts of this time Period, which were a combination of Taoism, Confucianism, and Buddhism. Um, Confucianism certainly had probably the bigger sway out of those three, uh, and Sun Tzu's uh, has that, but also has a lot of uh, that Taoism, Buddhism aspects into it as well. And it is much longer than the Hippocratic Oath, so I'm not going to read it here, but let's talk a little bit about what it says. <clears throat> it talks about the importance of proper diagnosis and treatment, proper study, so there's that education, proper disposition, what disposition should the physician be in while trying to help, compassion, lots of compassion, again, that's a basic value of Confucianism, having a clear mind and a dignified appearance, and developing an attitude of goodwill. That attitude of goodwill is probably a little Buddhism thrown in there, because so that's a lot of is Buddhism is like it's not your actions; it's your thoughts that are important. So you have to have good thoughts. Um, uh, you can't have bad thoughts, do good actions, and expect everything to be fine. It's your thoughts are the issue. That's sort of a Buddhist sort of a- aspect. A great physician should not gossip. Pay attention to status, wealth, whether a person is attractive, a friend, or an enemy. Act hastily. Rely on one's superiority. Keep their reputation in mind. Be talkative. So don't talk too much. Provocative. That's not me. I talk all the time, as you can see. Provocative. Make fun of others. Raise, these are things you shouldn't be doing. Make fun of others. Raise one's voice. Decide over right and wrong or discuss other people or their business. So in a lot of ways, it sounds similar. And in a lot of ways, you can really see the Confucian and Taoist and, and especially Buddhist thought wrapped into it. So it's, it's a lot longer, I don't have it here, but definitely something to look up and take a look at if you're interested in that. So that's sensing meows on the absolute sincerity of great physicians. So that was a brief overview of two oaths that are important in, in medicine. And uh, that was about uh, about right time. So let's get into what we're talking about today, which is guajer. So that is the the thing. The species is Cinnamomum cassia pressel, P-R-E-S-L. That's the cultivar. Sometimes you'll see Cinnamomum cassia verum, which means true. Um, in the literature, I saw that several times. But as I, I looked this up, Pressel was the one. And sometimes I saw a period after Pressel, Sometimes I didn't. And so I don't know if that's short for something else. I tried to find that out. Couldn't. Uh, so <clears throat> that is the species we're talking about. There are lots of species of cinnamon, and they have very different constituents to them. But this is the species that we're talking about with this particular herb. Comes from the family Lauraceae. We're we'll going to talk about that family in just a minute. Yeah, the medical part, medicinal part that we're talking about right now is the twig. So it's cinnamon twig. So remember, we're talking about Cinnamomum ramulus. Ramulus does mean twig, and so in in Latin, so. It's English translation of Guijur is simply cinnamon or cassia twig. It's just the species in twig. So, uh, so Jure means uh, twig. So, you'll see that in some other herbs. Uh, So, there you go. Other names in Japanese is called Keishi. Again, I don't know how to pronounce these. K-E-I-S-H-I. And in Korean, it's k y e j i, And sometimes, you'll see it in Chinese as Liu Gui uh so that's leo qui is another name for for a is incredibly we're going to talk about some other names that are associated with this in just a little bit uh the parts other uh you know different uh aspects of this as well so dosage is interesting all all you know i i as i've said in the past i usually look at three major textbooks to kind of uh you know, triangulate and see where uh, the truth lies a little bit, and they all had slightly different dosages for this this uh, herb. So Bensky and his team uh, says the dosage is three to nine grams daily. Chen and Chen say it's five to ten grams daily, and up to thirty grams daily. So you can have up to thirty grams. And Brandon Wiseman says it is three to 10 grams daily. So they're not far apart from each other. They're all in this general um, uh, ballpark. And I would say generally, as we use this as an herb, we usually think in terms of six or nine grams. We usually, we haven't really talked about, it, but um, because of ancient measurements, we often in Chinese medicine, will use three gram measurements. And so a multiple of three grams. So in this case, six to nine grams is sort of the, the common approach this, sometimes less, sometimes a little bit more, but that's probably the, the most common dosing in that area. <clears throat> so the Lauraceae family, there are about 52 genera and 3,000 to 3,500 known species in this family of laurels. So this is the Laurel family. They grow mainly in warm temperate and tropical regions, especially in Southeast Asia and South America. So cinnamon, if you're not familiar with it, there's, uh, there's, you know, this is from China for the most part. Uh, Vietnamese cinnamon is is really big. Indonesian cinnamon is also very big. So um, we see a lot, and those are slightly different species. So a lot are in that Southeast Asia sort of aspect. It includes deciduous and evergreen trees and shrubs. In general, the fruits are droops, which are one seeded fleshy fruits with a thin hard layer resembling one seeded berries. And a good example is the avocado are a member of the family lariaceae. So that makes sense. So if we're looking at a thin hard layer um, on the outside, one, uh, one, one seed and flesh in between those two, that's really the avocado though. Of course, the the hard layer on the outside is is thin compared to the rest of it, but um, there's a little something there you have to get through to to get to the flesh of the avocado. So that's the Luriasia family. So back to Guajur. So the category, um, again, each of these three books have, I think they're translating the same thing, but they translated it a little differently. And I think that's useful for us kind of flesh out this. So the category that this herb is included in Bensky is called a warm acrid herb. Uh, the, the category is warm acrid herbs that release the exterior. Chen and Chen state, it is a wind cold releasing herb. So same thing, but it looks at the other aspect. This is the the herb itself treats wind cold as a, and the Bensky is saying it is a warm, spicy herb. And Brad, uh, Brand and Weissman classified as a warm, acrid, exterior-releasing medicinal. So very similar to Bensky, but slightly different verbiage. It is all agree. It is acrid or spicy, sweet and warm, and enters the heart, the lung, and the bladder channels. Good quality are young twigs without leaves or withered parts. Bensky and Chen Chen both agree the original source for this herb is the Shendong Ben Sajing, the Divine Husbandsman's Classic of the Materia Medica in the 2nd century CE. We talk about this a lot. It is the first existing book that we have. There may have been other books, but this is the one that's still existing book on single herbs and uh, about 2nd century CE. So a lot of our herbs are more important, or foundational herbs are going to be in this in This book. And so that's the Shendong Ben Cao Jing. I believe I have I've had a uh spur observ on Shendong and the Ben Cao Jing. So look in our past catalog and see if that's in there if you're interested in more about the Shendong Ben Cao Jing. So what does this do? And again, the three books are similar but slightly different. And I think in those differences we can learn a lot. So according to Bensky and his team. Um, Guijir has many Chinese medical actions, including releases the exterior and assists the yang, warms and unblocks the channels and collaterals, warms the yang and transforms thin mucus, assists the heart yang and unblocks the yang qi of the chest, warms the channels, vessels, and collaterals, warms the middle and directs turbid yin downwards. That's dampness is, you know, it's similar to dampness. They say key characteristics of this herb is that it is light and warm, releases the muscle layer. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a minute. Unblocks yang chi and warms the middles. These are sort of technical language, but, you know, what we get from this is it's very good if you have uh, an exterior attack, so wind cold. We talked a lot about winds and wind colds in our last couple Episodes. You can look back on that. It's also very good for unblocking the channels and collaterals. Really good for getting things moving. So, if there's some stagnation or some blockages, or again, we're going to get a little bit more into that, it can be very useful for that as well. So, Chen and Chen has similar actions. They say it releases the exterior through diaphoresis, warms and opens the channels and collaterals, warms Yang to eliminate water or phlegm stagnation, warms Yang in the chest worms yang in the chong, and they translate the chong as thoroughfare, though I've generally seen it as uh, the chong as, as penetrating, and ren conception channels to restore normal menstruation. So if you're not familiar with the chong, and, and the ren is part of that too, if you're a Chinese practitioner, you know the ren really well, this is the meridian that goes straight down the, the center, actually it goes up the center of the body on the front, uh, and it's also called the conception, it's translated often as the conception channel. Chong is what's known as one of the eight extra meridians, and that includes the Ren is considered an extra meridian, so we have our 12 paired organ meridians that we talk about, so like we already mentioned today, the heart uh, and, the, and the lung, and uh, one other, I don't even remember, the heart and lung meridians, and so the chang is not one of those organ ones those eight extras are not part of those those 12 pairs of organ uh, meridians but are eight extra meridians and so that's what we're talking about so at some point we'll do a deep dive on on these as well as we go through those so brandon wiseman have their own actions and the, and um, if you're not familiar with the the book uh, that brandon wiseman have is, is it's, it's it's considered a, it's called a concise Materia Medica, so it's a little bit um, tighter than than either Chen Chen and Bensky's, uh, which is good. It kind of boils things down to assassin. So they only have three actions for these er- for this herb. Promotes sweating and resolves the exterior, warms and frees the channels, and warms and assists Yang Chi. So pretty straightforward. Now, course, all of the books go into a lot more depth on each of these, more depth than we could get into in, in, this, in a one-hour episode. But at least this gives you sort of the overview of what's going on. I'm adding in a fourth book here. There's a there's a book I've been reading. I'm actually teaching a class using it as a text. And it's by Huang Wong, and it's called The The Ten Key Formula Families. And it talks about uh individual herbs that have a whole family of formulas around it. And the very first one is the Guajure family. Uh, of formulas. And so he has some really, goes into Guajur at a very different sort of aspect of it. It has some interesting perspectives about Guajur. And um, so I'm gonna talk a little bit about what Huang says about this herb as well. It says, he says, it is difficult to pin down to just one curative function and modern disease names, given the scope of what this herb can do. In other words, it's it's hard to say exactly. Um, It treats this. It's not like that in um, Guizhou and not in Chinese medicine. So he continues on and says, it can be considered one of the most difficult to use herbs as well as one of the most fascinating. This is because it is an herb that confirms and treats a pattern of disharmony, but doesn't cure a disease. This makes it a quintessential Chinese herb. So what we're saying is, you know, In Chinese medicine, we talk about patterns a lot and syndromes and things along those lines. We don't talk about diseases necessarily because like, for example, a disease, a disease state, a pathology like a cough can have a whole bunch of patterns that cause it. So we're more interested in the patterns than the actual cough. So what patterns are causing the cough? Let's treat that as opposed to, oh, you have a cough. Here's an herb for a cough. And Guizhou is quintessentially in that. Its functions include the ability to harmonize yin, open the yang, benefit water, cause qi to descend, promote dissipation of stasis, and tonify the middle. So a lot of that is similar to what our other three authors were saying. I like this promote dissipation of stasis, so that's a very um, succinct uh, way and and probably a little bit more to the heart of the matter than some of the other books. Wang states, that herbs have presentations, constitutions, and signs and symptoms consistent with using the herb. So in other words, if you're gonna go and use Guager in one of these Guager formulas that we're gonna talk about in, the, in this family of formulas, this is Wong's book, then you need to look for these presentations, constitutions, and specific signs and symptoms that say, "Hey, look at me! This is Guajer. Think Guajer when you see these things." And so um, he's very interested in that, and he in, and we're going to talk about him right now. A cinnamon twig presentation has two aspects. This is it. He says, if you have these two things, you need to be thinking about cinnamon twig. One, fever or a subjective feeling of fever, sweats easily, even to the point of spontaneous sweating aversion to wind, sensitivity to cold, and joint pain. So if you have these things, or pre- most of them are predominantly have these things, then you, this is step one, you should be thinking about cinnamon twig as an herb to use. The fever that they talk about here, so remember said fever or subjective feeling of fever. This fever in the presentation is a low-grade fever, or even just a subjective sense of fever accompanied by sweating, aversion to wind, and fear of cold. So number two, this is the second aspect. I don't know why I have three fingers up. Two uh, is a subjective feeling of upward movement or pulsations in the abdomen, palpitations, being easily startled, feeling flushed, and insomnia. So these are things to look for in this in this case too. And this, this subjective feeling of upward movement or pulsations in the abdomen is a very strange thing. It's a very Chinese thing. You've never heard any descriptions of that in a Western sense. So that is is, uh, something to kind of keep in mind. As soon as you see that, you want to think, hey, maybe cinnamon twig is a possibility here. So while examining the patient, it is common for the abdomen and palms to be relatively moist. A feeling in the abdomen of something moving upward is known as bentun, or running piglet, or ju, struts above the navels. Those are the Chinese terms for that. And uh, running piglet is definitely something we we talk a lot about in Chinese medicine, and uh, this is a potentially great herb for that. Potentially. There are others. So based on these presentations, cinnamon twig presentation relates to pathological patterns that result from functional imbalances in such processes as thermal regulation, sweat gland secretions, blood vessel tension, and nervous tone. So this is all from Huang. So very interesting different perspective on this and steps us into the the cinnamon twig family of formulas. So another book we always look at when we're looking at medical actions is that Shen Nong Ben Sa Jing that we talked about earlier, The Divine Farmer's Materia Medica. And it says the following about this Superior class herbs. So, one of the things Shandong does, uh, Shandong Ben Sao Ding, Jing does, is classify herbs as superior, middle, and inferior class. So this is a superior, superior class, which means it should be taken often, it's safe, it's it's healthy, all that sort of stuff. So, there is an herb entry about Jun Gui, which is broken down into ro Gui, Cinnamomie Cortex, and zhi, Bark of the tree. So, um, remember I said what we're talking about today is guaijer which is the twig and really often the bark of the twig but it's usually slices through it but we're really kind of the bark is the is the primary concern there and that's the, the herb that we're talking about today but there is another herb that's very important maybe not as important as guaijer which is rogue which is the the cortex which is the the outer coating of of the tree the trunk and this is actually very much in line with what cinnamon is as a spice. If you ever get whole cinnamon when it has those, those um, curved sort of shavings off it, that is rogui, that's the cinnamon cortex. And so that is considered a different herb and have totally different functions than gui does. So um, so we do have an herb entry that includes both of those in the Shenan ben Sojing, jing as well as something else called gui or shaved bark and mu-gui, um, thought to be a different species of roguay, though currently considered the same. So it does say the guaytir warms the channels and frees the flow of the vessels, promotes perspiration and resolves the muscles, disinhibits the lung chi, and dissipates blood amassment in the lower burner. So we haven't talked a lot about the triple burners. I've mentioned it a few times. And so um, the lower burner, uh, the burners are separated um, from uh, in the in the body. It's the upper chest and the then the middle portion above the umbilicus and below the chest. And then the lower burner is below the umbilicus. Uh, and so that is or the belly button is umbilicus. That is the lower burner that we're talking about here. It treats cold damage, headache, and wind stroke, spontaneous sweating. Painful wind and ribside wind pain. So notice a lot of wind here, both kind of internal and external. Uh, though this does focus a bit on the external side of the wind, and so remember, wind is what carries in a cold uh, from the outside according to Chinese medicine. So there are some Western uses of this herb. Uh, Grunwald and his team. Uh, say the Commission E approves the use of cinnamon twig for loss of appetite and dyspeptic complaints. So in other words, stomach complaints, that's what dyspepsia is, is stomach complaints. Folk uses include using it for flatulence and exhaustion. So that is useful. And also according to them, they say in Ayurvedic medicine, it's uh, used for uh, toothache, nausea, and vomiting, and exhaustion. And that makes a lot of sense from a Chinese point of view. A lot of these make a lot of sense. It's not technically, um, from a Chinese point of view, sort of a digestive herb, but it has aspects that can help digestion in, in certain cases. So it makes sense to a little bit. All right, so commentary on guajer. So the commentary in Bensky discusses some interesting aspects of this herb. Cinnamon ramulus gui ranks with ginseng radix, ren shen, as the subject of the most learned discussions in Chinese medical literature. It's so think about it right there, one of the very, very, very most important. Numbers. This is because of its place as the chief herb in cinnamon twig decoction, the premier form or Guizhir tong, the premier formula in the shanghan lung, or discussion of cold downward. So just as I talked about the Shendong Ben Sao Jing, or the Divine Husbandsmen's, or the Divine Farmers, in different translations, uh, material medical book, that is the first existing book on single herbs. Shang Han Lung, along with its, its brother, the, uh, the, the Essentials from the Golden Cabinet, the Jing Lue Fong, uh, Shang Han Lung Discussion of Coal Damage, those were one book together. And those are the that is the oldest existing formula book that we have. It was written about uh, a, a little bit later than the Shingon Ben Sojing, uh, but in the in a similar sort of time frame. So this is Shan Hong Lung, very, very important, very foundational. It is the foundational formula textbook. And it is hugely important there. In the discussion of cold damage and its companion test text, the essentials from the Golden Cabinet, remember I said these were one word one book, and then they got split later on. Wager is cited 130 times in 77 different formulas. That's how important. Now, just to put some perspective on it, that's definitely the majority of the formulas discussed in the So So um, it is discussed a lot, a lot, a lot in these books. A primary point in understanding wager is to realize that it does not induce sweating in exterior releasing formula. So when we have an exterior releasing formula, we often think of it induces sweat. And this doesn't, what it actually does is it releases the muscle layer. So this is just below the skin layer. And the distinction between inducing sweating and releasing the muscle layer is one of depth and affiliation. So this works at a deeper level than just promoting sweating. And, and releasing the exterior. So this, the, the, the lungs govern the skin and mobilize protection as in the Wei or protective Qi. Again, we've talked about Wei Qi and Ying Qi previously. While the spleen governs the flesh and pertains to the supply of nutrition, which is the Ying or nutritive Qi. So the method of inducing sweating relies on the opening dispersing actions of the herbs themselves to vent and drive the pathogen outward through the pores of the skin to exit the body. Inducing sweating is the approach used when cold is constrained the most superficial level of the exterior. However, releasing the muscle layer on the other hand should be used when the pathogen is not constrained in the skin, but is slightly deeper. Usually the pathogen is wind, which is faster than cold at penetrating the exterior. The skin is not blocked, so sweating may already be present, and what is required to eliminate the pathogen is a more gentle dispersing of normal qi, the harmonized nutritive and protective qi, that ying and wei chi, which escorts the pathogen outward through the exterior. So it's not as pushy, and um, because we don't want to push too much in that normal qi because then we scatter our normal qi. So it's kind of like opening it up. It's like escorting, come on, come out right here. This is where you want to go. In this outward releasing of the pathogen, the two methods are similar, but the different mechanisms of action should not be confused. Li Shuzhen describes this in the Gram Materia Medica as translated in Bensky et al. Uh, Ephedra Herba, ma huang, thoroughly unblocks the skin and pores and thus specializes in inducing sweating to disperse the cold pathogen. The lungs focus on the skin, and acridity travels through the lungs. Acridity, remember, acrid means spicy. Guajer penetrates and reaches the nutritive and pe- protective levels. Thus, it releases the muscle layer, and the wind pathogen is expelled. The spleen focuses on the nutritive level, the lungs on the protective level. Sweetness mobilizes the spleen, acridity the lungs. So it kind of explains a bit of the difference there. And that's an important different, difference. So going to Huang, back to Huang, the 10 key formula families, in his discussion of the 10 key formula families, talks about a Guager constitution and presentation. A cinnamon twig constitution refers to the frequently, frequently seen constitutional body type that often exhibits signs for which cinnamomi, ramulus, Guajer, and the cinnamon twig formula family are indicated. External distinguishing characteristics include a body that tends to be thin. The skin is comparatively fair with a fine texture and the flesh appears moist and firm. The abdomen is usually relatively flat and the abdominal muscles tend to be tight. The eyes have a spirited look. The lips are pale red or dark. The pulse is often floating and large and can be felt when barely touching the skin. The tongue body is soft and pale red or dark pale in color with a tongue surface that is moist with a thin white coating. That is how Huang Huang, Huang explains the exterior characteristics of someone who is prone and uh, needs Guajur often. The predisposition of a typical Guajur patient includes sweating easily or has spontaneous sweating night sweats, or sweaty palms and soles. The patient has emotional or physical sensitivity to cold temperatures, frequent colds, tendency mm. toward abdominal pain, palpitations, shallow, or dream-filled sleep or muscle spasms. There are lots, uh, so that's Huang Wang's uh, commentary on glacier sure, as well. So a little bit different perspective. So let's talk about some of the preparations and some of the different types here. There are lots of different preparations and parts of Guizhou. So Nun Guizhou is tender cinnamon twigs are the young twig tips and have highly desirable, rich, heavy aroma. Guizhou Jian, cinnamon twig points, also known as Xiao uh, Xiao, excuse me, Xiao, cinnamon twig tips, are popular because of their aroma and greater capacity to unblock the blood vessels and disperse when cold. Most appropriate to formulas similar to Guizhou Fuling Wan or Cinnamon Twig Emporia Pill. Guizhou Mu, Guizhou Mu, Cinnamon Twig Wood are cinnamon twigs with the bark removed, soaked, sliced, and then dried. And this is weaker at mobilizing the exterior and releasing the muscle layer and inducing sweating, but it is stronger in warming the channels and unblocking the collaterals. Chao guajer or dry-fried cinnamon twig are where the twigs are fried or baked to a deep golden color with small scorched spots. This reduces its acrid dispersing action, but increases its warm unblocking properties this may be useful for treating wind cold with sweating in older or weaker patients for whom a milder sweat inducing action is indicated we have finally we have gui zhi or mi cherguei zhi which is prepared or honey prepared cinnamon twigs and they are dry fried or stir fried or baked with honey until deep golden in color. Dry frying increases the herb's warm, yang qi tonifying action while reducing its acrid dispersing properties. And this method is preferred when gui is used to support the middle burner as in minor construct the middle decoctioner, Xiaojian Jian Xiaojian tang. Xia jian zhong tang. All right, and that's our preparations. Let's talk a little bit about combinations. There are some really Bensky discusses several common and important, actually, I would say, foundational combinations with Guajer. So one of those, and super common, and is in Guajer Tong, is with Bai Shao, or Peony radix alba. So this is white peony. One affects the the Chi Guajer, and the other the blood Bai Shao one disperses, the other restrains. One is moving, the other is still. So Guizhou has a rising or floating nature. Bai Shao is sour and cold with a restraining or inhibiting nature. It preserves the yin fluids and nourishes the nutritive and blood levels. So this is slightly different than what we were talking about with the nutritive Qi. Um, Now we're talking about levels which are depths within the body. Similar, but slightly different with the nutritive there, the yin. Um, continuing with this, Zhang Zhang Jing and Discussion of Cold Damage. Zhang Zhang Jing is the author of the Shanghai Lunger Discussion of Cold Damage, that, that, that formula's book that we're talking about. Um, says each herb moderates the excesses of the other. So it's a great pair because they, they help each other not get too, too far out. The pair could be used to treat exterior as well as interior disorders, excess as well as deficiency, solid masses, as well as amorphous dampness. The combination of these two herbs has been the basis for training many generations of Chinese physicians. So that is just a foundational uh, combination. And like I said, it's in Guizhietang. tongue is usually one of the very first formulas we, we learn when we're studying, we start to study formulas. And so this is just a powerful, and, and, and I think it really kind of talks to a lot of what we try to do in Chinese medicine, um, we, we often will, will pair opposite herbs with opposite actions, and the idea behind that is the body will do what it needs to do, given both options is sort of the idea behind it. It doesn't work all that time. You can't do it willy-nilly, but this combination is very well established to, to do something along those lines. It can also be used with chuangxiang rhizoma. Uh, the Chinese is chuangxiang. The pair moves without conflict and is commonly used to expel wind dampness, warm the channels and collaterals, facilitate joint movement, and relieve the discomfort of painful obstruction. Chuan shang is acrid and warm, just like Wager is, and dispersing, and is particularly good at moving blood, expelling wind, moving chi, and relieving pain. Uh, This combination is highly effective for treating the pain in the joints and limbs associated with early stage externally contracted wind-cold. And we often think of chuan shang as, as one of the headache herbs, so often this will be used uh, in that in those situations as well. With blue radix or chai hu, this is plurum, is most appropriate when a greater yang stage condition begins to move internally and reaches the lesser yang stage. So, one of the things that's in Shang Han is it talks about the six stages, and these six stages are how an external pathogen uh, in, in the context of, uh, of the Shang on the discussion of cold is a cold pathogen, a wind cold pathogen, how it enters the body and goes from external to internal, and there's six stages. The greater Yang stage and lesser Yang stage are the second and third of those stages, and so um, actually First and second, I don't remember. It's one of the, the first couple stages of the of the uh, six stages. And so this is um, chai hu, which is a wind cold releasing herb. So uh, the guajir is a wind heat releasing herb, backward heat, spicy, hot and spicy, and chai hu is cold and spicy um, or cool, I should say rather than cold, cool and spicy. So this is where it starts to move more internally and so then we throw in chaihu into this mix. Both herbs are exterior releasing herbs. The difference is that one is acrid cool while the other is acrid warm. Chaihu is clear, light and good for lifting and venting heat. When a pathogen is lodged at the half exterior, half interior level, so that is the third stage, that's the lesser yang stage, chaihu can lead it to the exterior where it is released. Thus its reputation for venting and draining lesser yang stage disorders. So that's that combination. Again, uh, Chaihu, very commonly used herb, great combination with quager. Other common common combinations with quager include with ray radix and rhizoma da huang, uh, which is uh, um, rhubarb root. Uh, also, a curcuma, uh, curcuma longa rhizoma, or Jiang huang, that is turmeric. And arati fructus jerka, that is immature um, citrus fruit. It's uh, sort of a Chinese citrus. So arati fructus jerka. So those are other common combinations. So what is in cinnamon and why does it have all these effects? There are uh, essential volatile oils. Uh, and they are the bulk of the bioactive constituents. When I look up what is bioactive and why does it have its different effects, it's usually because of the essential and volatile oils. And these include cinnamic uh, cinemic aldehyde, or some can track that into synaldehyde. Uh, And this has been shown to be antimicrobial, potentially neuroprotective. Uh, that's probably the, the big one, is the cinnamic aldehyde. Uh, others include benzyl. Benzoate, cinnamon acetate, camphene, baza- benzaldehyde, ter- terpenin4ol, alpha uh, copene, beta-alamine, beta-catenine, and calamine. In addition to these essential volatile oils, there are organic acid constituents including transinemic acid, protocatechuic acid, and propanoic acid. Other constituents include coumarin and beta-cytosterol. Beta-cytosterol is often in our herbs and and can have some some interesting functions with it. Uh, Coumarin is uh, often considered a blood thinner. uh, So that's an interesting one to include. It's not huge, but there is some little minor concern about that. All right, the science behind cinnamon. So Chen Chen states, guasier is antibiotic diuretic, which means makes you uh, urinate, uh, diaphoretic makes you sweat, antipyretic lowers your temperature, analgesic helps pain and helps circulation by, by dilating blood vessels, as well as being cardiotonic, good for the heart, sedative hypnotic, so it kind of calms you down, may take you, you know, help you sleep, and antitussive effects, which are coughing, anti-coughing effects. They continue to list some Chinese studies showing positive effects in treating frostbite, facial numbness, hypotension, and arthritis. Um, all of these were, were small Chinese clinical studies, except for the one on hypotension, which had 117 subjects, still relatively small, but more in the realm of statistical uh, goodness. Uh, in general, I, they were Chinese studies. I can't get them in English, uh, they, so I don't know exactly what they say. But I, they're small, they're not super, pot, you know, I, I wouldn't use any of these as support for any of the of stuff. So it's interesting that these are the, the aspects uh, of this, of this herb, but I wouldn't take any of them as gospel at this point, based on that evidence. There was a review article from Rao and his team. Or her team, I think, lists several potential benefits of cinnamon without differentiating between twig and bark. So this is one of the issues we have when I look at the studies, is they will say cinnamomic cassia. They will not distinguish necessarily, not all of them, some do, but most don't, between twig and bark. But they're going to have a lot of the same constituents, but they may not be in the same percentages. They may not, you know, some may have a lot more, some may have a lot less. So it's difficult to, to really pin this down. But uh, they say that it, uh, that cinnamomy uh, cassia includes uh, antioxidant activity, and so that helps, you know, the antioxidant is good for oxidants, it's, it's helpful, uh, probably not considered today as helpful as it may have been 10 or 15 years ago, but still useful, anti-inflammatory, anti-diabetic, so helpful for diabetes, antimicrobial, so that's that antibiotic, it's good for type, they they talked about fungi as well as viruses and bacteria, uh, anti-cancer, and helpful for the cardiovascular system, which is one of those things the FDA has said you can kind of say that, that it it can support the cardiovascular system with cinnamon, and potentially positive effects for Parkinson's disease and Alzheimer's diseases, so uh, that's interesting. This paper seemed to be more a list of potentially positive effects of cinnamon and not a systematic review. Most evidence cited were a couple of studies, and often they were animal studies. So again, I didn't get a great sense from this review article. I'm not necessarily buying all these things. I think there's evidence to show that, that these effects happen. I'm just not sure... The evidence is not definitive. I do not think it's very strong at this point. I think it's interesting. I think we need to do a lot more research to see if these are it, but I I wouldn't say any of these are are particularly strong evidence for these effects. Muhammad and uh, Dewetnik had similar conclusions with similar limitations of the evidence. This was a few years after the other one. Uh, The other one was uh, Oh no, it was actually a year before. The other one was 2018, This is 2017. And these conclusions include anti-inflammatory, anti-diabetic, anti-tumor. So they don't say anti-cancer, they say anti-tumor, which um, is an interesting thing to think about. And digestive system protection has all those. But again, it was not strong evidence. It was not a systematic review. So I don't I don't put this in on highly regarded evidence. I think it's all interesting. I think it's it, it's going in an interesting direction. I just want to see more evidence. Now let's talk about interactions, drug herb interactions. Chen uh, says guajer has a diuretic effect that may lead to increased elimination of water and or electrolytes. So diuresis means more promotion of urination caution should be employed when using with diuretic drugs so he was the only one it kind of came across as more of a of a of an expert opinion as opposed to having any force of evidence behind it any research evidence so take it with a grain of salt no other obvious interactions were found However, Rogueway was found to be a strong inhibitor of cytochrome P450, 2C9 and 3A4. Um, I talk a lot about cytochrome P450 when I when I talk about drug herb interactions, and I have whole courses on that. Um, just suffice it to say that that is a target for drug herb interactions, especially on cytochrome p 3 a 4 where um, that enzyme is used for about to to metabolize about 60% of the drugs out on the market. So if there's something going on with 3A4 that can affect a lot of different potential drugs. But again, this is rogué, not guay so we have to take it with a grain of salt. Um, but we can also say that a lot of what's in roguay should be in guay so kinda, um, I'd be concerned about interactions with this. So if I had a drug that needed a lot of uh, synchrome P453A4, I might be cautious about adding this herb into that, that mixture. Gardner and MacGuffin, um, who are the, uh, what is it, the American Herb Producers Association. They have a really good book uh, on, on safety, really. It's a safety book. And say it is an A interaction class, meaning no clinically relevant interactions are expected. So there's some potential here, but I don't think it's a strong potential. So concerns about this drug. So according to Bensky and his teams, uh, they say this herb is contraindicated in cases of warm heat, pathogen disease, yin deficiency with heat signs, and heat in the blood with vomiting. So in other words, you know, let's be cautious with heat <laughs> on this. Uh, during pregnancy or in cases of excessive menstruation, use only in doses of six grams or less, preferably the dry fried cinnamon twigs. The, its use is also discouraged where there are signs of pathogenic heat in general. They say large overdoses can occur resulting in, uh, in dizziness and in, uh, uh, tense, dry or burning sensation in the eyes, cough, thirst, oliguria, oliguria is, uh, is uh, uh, urination, not enough urination, uh, too little urination, or a burning sensation during urination. And they say allergic reactions are possible, so we do need to be careful people can be allergic to this. That's Bensky's take. Brandon uh, Wise uh, Brand and Wiseman agrees, saying it is contraindicated in internal repletion heat patterns, yin vacuity with a fulgent fire, or full fire, and frenetic movement of hot blood. So again, careful with heat. And it, they also say use with care in pregnancy. So that is a theme that kind of comes up: is the pregnancy thing. Chen and Chen says, because it stimulates blood circulation, it should be used with caution in patients with a high risk of bleeding, pregnant women or women with hypermenorrhea. So that means um, very um, big menses, very, very lots of blood in the menses. It is contraindicated. So it says use with caution in those. So you can use it in these in, in these situations, but you want to be very cautious about it. It is contraindicated, so it says don't use in patients with febrile disorders which is interesting because a febrile disorder is exactly what we're treating. So you got to be careful. Um, Yang excess related to yin deficiency, heat in the blood or other heat dominant disorders. And I think when they're saying it's contraindicating febrile disorders, what they're really saying is internal febrile disorders. If you have that external attack that's causing that low grade fever, that's fine. Um, it's just that flawed big intern, sort of internal fever. So uh, in the six stages, that yangming fever, this isn't a good one for it. And Gardner and McGuffin agree it should be contraindicated during pregnancy, except under the supervision of a healthcare practitioner. And there we go. We got through everything and just about on time, almost exactly on time. So thank you very much. Uh, If you enjoyed this, could you, wherever you got this podcast, if you got it, uh, on on a uh, podcaster software or through iTunes or, or Android or wherever you got it, could you put in a, a good review for us? That would be very helpful. That would be awesome. That would be fantastic. Also, if you go to uh when you when you buy from Amazon, please use the banner ad on the homepage. Like I, you know, it, it gives me a few pennies. I haven't made any money off of this, so it'd be nice. Uh, if you could do that and help uh, help support this so I can continue to do it, we'd really appreciate that as we're going along. You can always get in touch with me at com. That's my email. And at our website, com. I'm happy to respond and get back to you. It may take me a little uh, while at some point, but appreciate it. And always get in contact with me. We do have, as usual, a good size bibliography on this and we got a good two pager here and of course if you're not seeing this on the screen you can always get it at spurbservice.com i post them at spurbservice so you have a good resource and yeah the proceeding was presented by dr greg Sperber. we would like to thank janelle for all her support and everybody else who contributed to this program janelle. timothy nick campbell